0: This is a messy, messy text, if you didn't catch it. The first section deals with Rachel and Leah, this sibling rivalry going on, uh, this huge family uh, travesty, bitterness and envy. And you, you see that Rachel is barren. If we remind ourselves at the end of chapter 29, verse 31, Rachel is barren and Leah starts birthing babies. She has four at the end of 29. And then the text opens up in 30 with Rachel still longing for a baby, a baby, and there's envy in her heart. It's, it's her uh, uh, really seeking to bitterly compete for God's blessing for children, even stepping into some, some areas of superstition by taking mandrakes that are uh, a sort of aphrodisiac to sort of help her have babies. She's thinking, if I can get a hold of these, then maybe they will help me have babies. So she steps into this superstitious world, trying to seek out her own way, but ultimately gets babies through the Lord. And all these children are are born in this text from uh, both Leah and Rachel, sort of giving away their female slaves uh, to Jacob also as wives and baby makers. I hate to say that, that's just what's going on in the text. There's a lot of babies here And all the children are born, each with a name that has incredible meaning for Israel, even as uh, they read of their origins, as Moses would read this for the Israelites, they would read Genesis 30, and all the tribes of the nations of Israel would be named here. They would understand the meaning and the purpose of their name. So their names have great value here, and they would be encouraged to be together as one people, rather than fighting against one another, deceiving and competing against one another, like Rachel and Leah. And then you got the other story of Laban and Jacob. And and you may read that story and you go, what is going on? Well, what's going on is the same thing that's been going on. Laban deceives Jacob. Jacob deceives Laban. And it's just this constant deception back and forth. Laban is very self-centered and trying to get his way. And Jacob's had it. And Jacob seeks to find, figure out a way out of this. So he's profitable. All that leads him into some superstitious, uh, superstitious breeding practices, which really interesting. But ultimately, at the end of the story, uh, in both stories, God blesses Rachel with a baby and Jacob with a large herd. God is the one who was caring for and leading his people forward. And they needed to trust in him no matter where they found themselves on their journey to the promised land now what i've tried to do today is not necessarily take it in an expositional nature but give us some high level principles and truths that we can count on today And here's my main idea for you life is full of trouble but god is full of mercy the title of this sermon is called mercy in the mess because messes tend to follow us around don't they I have six kids, and uh, in their their younger years, my kids would make messes everywhere. I literally have pictures of Scarlett with marker all over her face, or Hudson covered in nail polish as like a one-year-old. Things break. Things happen. Even when they get older, kids create messes. They dabble in sin. Even when they become teenagers, they can sometimes wander into messes. That doesn't change the affection or the love of a father or mother for their children. The truth is, life is full of troubles, but God is full of mercy. It's not like we set out trying to find trouble. Trouble seems to find us, doesn't it? like we go trying to commit sin or trying to do things that end our marriages or frustrate our families or cause our, our hearts grief, but we end up doing it because it just seems like it follows us around. Troubles in life, the Maybe the messes we make because of sin, our own sin, or the messes that sin makes of our life. Parents' sin in the way that affects us. A husband's sin in the way that affects us. A friend's sin and how that affects us, or whatever it might be. We all find ourselves with this truth that really remains. It's a reminder that the world is deeply broken, and we are deeply, deeply flawed. We're all just one decision away from creating another mess, aren't we? All the while, many of us, if we're being honest, and if you're being honest, are still living in the first mess, or the second mess, or the third mess. And you just don't know how to escape the mess. How do I get out of what happened to me then? How do I get away from me from this situation that happened 20 years ago, or 10 years ago, or five years ago, or yesterday, this sin that just continues to plague me? Will I ever be free from the mess? How do I, how do I move forward? I want to give you three truths to be sure of today. First truth is this God's grace prevails over a multitude of sin. First truth is this God's grace prevails over a multitude of sin we we sometimes doubt god or forget that god is in control we we have limited knowledge of what god is doing in our lives so we end up seeking to take things into our own hands sometimes don't we like i don't want to wait i got to figure this out i got to chase down every possible avenue to find the healing i want to escape the disease or to escape the sin or to fix this or that We end up trying to take everything in our own hands, doing the things that we think will bring us success or luck, rather than trusting God. This is what Jacob and Rachel did in a large part of this story. They're pursuing things on their own, in their own strength. And these things led to two things in their life. It led to first desperation. Led to desperation. You see the full range of emotion in Rachel. You see her envious and jealous of Leah. And Jacob, when, when Rachel says, give me, give me a child. What does Jacob do? He gets angry. He's like, get off me. Who, who am I? What am I supposed to do for you? Well, Jacob knows that he is the patriarch, that God is with him. And Jacob, rather than just seeking the Lord in prayer, you're right. We got to figure this out. We got to seek God. It's like, no, I can't, I can't help you. And so he himself sort of refuses the godly ways. So she gets jealous and envious and seeks her own Way And then Jacob, desperate to leave Laban, he's been there 20 years, remember he, he, he fled there and he was tricked by Laban, he wanted Rachel, was given Leah, and then he served for seven more years for Rachel, because he loved Rachel, and then he's, he's there for 20 years. He's just trying to leave, and Laban's like, hey, what do you actually want? Why don't you work for me longer? He's like, no, I'm tired of this, i got to provide for my family, take care of me. And so Laban tries to deceive him again and trick him again. And out of desperation, he goes and and sort of pursues these uh, questionable breeding practices. And so you have this idea of desperation. When desperate times come, the emotions rage, don't they? Envy and anger and anxiety and worry and all the... The, the things that follow us around the fear because of the uncertain, because of things are out of our control, we don't really know what to do. And rather than, and our culture says this the best, our culture says, rather than patiently trusting the Lord, what the culture says to do is follow your heart. Let the emotions go. Your emotions are true and right and really should be listened to, and you should just follow them. And we're to take the whole of our emotional being and present it to the Lord and say, oh Lord, this is how I'm feeling. Oh, these are the things I'm struggling with. Help me now to walk in light of who you are and what you've called me to do and what you're doing and not to pursue these emotions of my life. That's what happens when we find ourselves in desperation? The second thing, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, but desertion, desertion. We end up look, looking elsewhere for hope. Rather than trusting God, we end up looking elsewhere for hope for hope. This is how life is. In this situation, Rachel is so desperate that it leads her to pursue these superstitious practices uh, that she thought the mandrakes might work. What does she end up doing? She ends up selling out her husband again um, to Leah to get Leah's son's mandrakes because she really thought that they would help her get pregnant. So you see how messed up this is. She's so desperate that she doesn't trust the, the Lord, even though she's saying, God has given me these children through Billah, she is over here still seeking her own child, her own way, pursuing it in a desperate way. And so she ends up deserting the law, what, what, what God had said. And then even Jacob, this is the same thing. Kidner, uh, Derek Kidner, one theologian, said this uh, about Jacob's pursuit of sort of creating these, uh, these animals. In displaying the striped rods at breeding time, Jacob was acting on the common belief that a vivid sight during pregnancy or conception would leave its mark on the embryo of the animals. And so he was pursuing his own way, trying to create his own path to succeed over Laban, and it was deceptive, and it was manipulative, and it was wrong. Both of these people desperately wanted to make things happen in their own strength. It's in these moments, the darkest of moments where trouble abounds, that God knows our deepest longings. He knows our deepest worries. He knows what we actually want, even when our drive wants it. Now he knows what's best and he knows when it's best. And our greatest need doesn't come from what we can attain on our own, but only that which God can supply. And so our response can either be control or release we must run to him no matter the mess we've created knowing that his grace covers a multitude of our own sin. Cuz in the end of the story, both Rachel is blessed with a baby and Jacob is blessed with incredible prosperity independent of their own work and their own doing. Number 2. God's providence prevails over a multitude of decisions. In these stories, we see brokenness and trouble arise to the surface, consequences of decisions made and actions taken, yet God providentially gives. His providential plans prevail. God had promised Jacob in Genesis 28:14 through 15 Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north to the south and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. This text that we read, Genesis 30, shows the fulfillment of that promise. Here in this story, Jacob is blessed with children, who of which will become the nation of Israel, and prosperity. This is how God decides to bring about the nation of Israel. And all this is messy. Rachel and Leah, Jacob and Laban. But ultimately, God uses it all because His providence prevails over a multitude of decisions that happen in their life. There's two points from this main point. First, there is no chance with God, only providence. This is hard for us to understand. There is no chance with God, only providence. The Bible teaches clearly that God rules over all things. He is the creator of all things. He is the sustainer of all things. He is the redeemer. He is the one who sent Jesus. He is the one that made a way. He's the one that convicts hearts. He's the one that says, come. Think about that command. That command for all of us, wherever you're at, the command of God says, come to him. Come to him. That's a command of the, follow me. Obey my commands. Be holy, for I am holy. He is the creator God. Psalm 135, 6-7 through seven says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all, the, all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning rise the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Matthew 10, 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. The Bible says that the Lord brings death and gives life and in his book are numbered all of our days. He sees the beginning and the end. Even time works to, to God's will. According to God's will, time is working In these stories, the whole thing orchestrated by God. But here's another important thing. Secondly, our decisions have real consequences. Our decisions or actions, whatever you want to say there, have real consequences. The Bible is full of people who were blessed by God, but still lived in the consequences of their own sin, of their own choices, of their own decisions. But it's not often, you know, you think about this, our decisions or our sin or our messes, don't those things often define us? Don't we often let the terrible times or the terrible decisions or the awful sin define us? Maybe you don't, but maybe someone you hurt does. Maybe your spouse is still holding on to bitterness because of something you did a long time ago. And that bitterness still, that moment still defines your marriage and keeps you held back from what God actually wants to do in you. Sometimes we feel locked in and we're defined by our moments or our sin. But it's not often that those things define God's people, but they end up serving God's people in the long term. I can tell you about my own sin and how my own struggles Have helped me today be a better husband and a better father and a better pastor and a godlier man because I don't want those things to define me, but I want to let the things that I went through serve me to not do them again, to not walk in them again. I want them to serve me so I don't make the mess again or continue the mess ahead. So, Rachel and Israel at large will live in the consequences of her decisions. They will struggle and fight against one another. Jacob's struggle with Laban has been 20 years and has caused him much frustration. In the next chapter, they'll have it out and ultimately it'll be done. There are consequences that we still feel in this this place, isn't there? If we're being honest, there are consequences. There are divorces, there are children, there are heartaches and bitterness and brokenness that exists in this room in our hearts because of our sin or someone else's sin close to us and our temptation listen church let's be honest our temptation is to bury it isn't it to not look at it to just leave it in the past to just say it's done i don't want to stare at it. i don't want to look at it but what happens is it holds us back and it keeps us locked and it keeps us change rather than like all right lord i'm giving this oh i'm tired of living i'm tired of this mess i'm tired of this junk i'm tired of letting it hold me back from what you want for me Which leads me to number three. God's promise prevails over a multitude of evil. God's promise prevails over a multitude of evil. In the end, God keeps his promise to Jacob. Isaac's blessing in Genesis 28, 3 is fulfilled. He says, God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. When you have 11 kids, soon to be 12 kids, you can guarantee you're going to have a company of people down the line. That's a lot of kids and a lot of grandkids and a lot of future families of the earth. And this is how God does it. He is building himself a people for his glory and he's working all of this out towards his appointed end. He has blessed Jacob with prosperity, with children, through the mess. And this is indeed how he does it. His promises prevail against the multitude of evil. Let me give you these two points, and then we'll head to our closure. First, deep disappointments drive us to Christ. Church, deep disappointments drive us to Christ. We should not let failure or messes or troubles keep us down. In Christ, we are covered by the blood of the Lamb. Covered once and for all. So when you sin, what you do is you confess. You make it right. You walk according to God's words. And Christian discipleship takes place over lots of years and lots of settings and lots of ways and lots of moments. Some of you are closer to Jesus today than you were 10 years ago, that's discipleship. You're growing in Christ-likeness. God is sanctifying you. I believe I'm sinning less, in some of my core struggles than I've ever sinned today. Does that mean I'm perfect? Heck no. Does that mean I still gotta fight? Yes. But I, by the grace of God, am walking in more and more freedom from certain things, right? You feel me? You feel me? We do. Christian discipleship matters. And so our deep disappointments, our letdowns, our frustrations should call us forward to Christ. George Whitfield, famous missionary, said this Press forward, famous preacher. Press forward, do not stop, do not linger in your journey, but strive for the mark set before you. Look to Christ. Christ is sanctifying us through the good times and the bad, through the tragedies and the trials, through friends and foes, joy and sorrow, and yes, even in the midst of terrible messes and awful sin, God is working his plans out through you and in you. So how can we have less trouble in life? How can we have less worry and fear and anxiety and envy by walking more faithfully with Christ daily, by wholly living for Him, by not pursuing our own ways, but patiently waiting on Him. And when we fall, we get up again, looking to Christ, the one who, like Jacob, was taken advantage of, mistreated, and ultimately did not escape slavery, but died in our place for it. The one who cared for us and covered us and called us forward in trust to him. So deep disappointments should drive us to Christ. And secondly, God's plans are still to be seen in your life. God's plans are still to be seen in your life. One of the things that uh, I like to do with my kids, um, I did this with my mom growing up, and I've been doing it with my kids, especially over long breaks like Christmas, is we do puzzles. We do puzzles and and uh, the other night, we were like, uh, Anna Kate, we finished a 500-piece puzzle, and Anna Kate wanted to. She's like, I've never done a 1,000-piece puzzle. I was like, me neither. Let's do it. And we busted it out, and that lasted about an hour and a half, and then we were like, we're done. Because that's hard to, it's hard to, I mean, th- I'm looking at the Eiffel Tower with like, like 75% of it is, is blue sky. And I'm like, this is awful. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no way. And, uh, and little pieces, sometimes I get so frustrated, the little pieces. But when I look at the picture of the whole, it's like really pretty. It's really beautiful. And sometimes so many of us get so distracted by the little fractions of our life. Instead of getting up and understanding that God has a trajectory in mind. He's got the full picture in mind. He knows what he's doing overall in your life in mind. And each one of us tend to view our lives this way. What happened last defines us rather than the whole My last sin is, here it is again, and I'm a moron. We tend to view our struggles or past as big defining pieces rather than living in God's grace and mercy towards the future. We can't allow ourselves to settle into our messes. Let me explain that. We can't allow ourselves to settle into the messes of life. When we do this, sinking deeper into our sin or the sins of others, dwelling on them, living in them, reminding ourselves of them, we fail to believe the gospel we say we believe. We fail to believe that in Christ we've been forgiven for all of our sin, and in Christ, that one who sinned against you, if they are indeed in Christ as well, then God has forgiven them. And so we must not withhold forgiveness from ourselves, And we must not withhold forgiveness from someone else who is a Christian. But walking in the freedom of the gospel, reminding ourselves that we have been saved and that there is a bigger narrative at play. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his step. God uses everything to make us more and more like Jesus. Now we can all agree that none of us are deserving of God's mercy, I believe, but we can all sort of come to that faithful conclusion that we're not really deserving because of who we are and our sin and our struggles. Many here have ongoing struggles with worry and anxiety, or or maybe you're trapped by fear, you're quick to anger, or you're sort of lured to lust, real things that have real consequences in marriages and families, or maybe you're downcast and depressed on the inside, but on the outside, like you put on this exuberant smile because you're putting on this facade because you don't really want to know, want people to know the real you, what's really going on. And so you don't really want to project that on them. You don't really want them to have to wear that. And so you hold it in because you feel guilty doing that. So you end up sitting in shame and the guilt of those things. Or maybe you felt like I felt before needy, afflicted or mistreated. Or you're like Jacob and, and Rachel trying to take things into your own hands and make things happen rather than trusting God. The one thing this story does for any of us and for all of us, it highlights the importance of God's blessing all the more. It isn't the mandrakes that led to Rachel's pregnancy or Jacob's scheming that led to the multiplication, and the strength and quality of his herd. It was the blessing of God, independent of what they were doing. He supplied the need in his providential care. He did it in his timing, in his way, in his power, by his grace and mercy for his people. Here, here's my point. All of us have trouble, and we're exactly the kind of people God uses in his overarching mission to bring about his plan of redemption. We're exactly the kind of people that God wants to use today, tomorrow, tomorrow, this week and the future to do his will and serve for his glory. I don't care about the messes or the trouble. Moses found himself in a mess after committing murder yet God used him anyway. David made a mess of his situation by choosing to sleep with Bathsheba leading to him murdering her husband Uriah and being judged by God. God used him anyway. Job lost his family and fortune even being pressed to reject the Lord yet God used him. Peter walked with Jesus, face to face with Jesus, walked through the death of Jesus and still denied him three times, yet God used him anyway. And Paul begged God to intervene in his trouble and take it away. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. No, we are not great, but we're we're reminded that there is one who was great for us. He is the key to all of our messes and trouble, and he came to champion the needy and the afflicted. When he saw our troubles, when he heard our cries, he came to clean up the messes and bless us in spite of the messes. This man is Jesus Christ. His mercy set on us. He sent his his love upon us. God's act of grace and mercy for sinful people like you and I so that we could be forgiven and set free and walk in freedom certainly god doesn't call the worthy but the unworthy he takes the worthy one and puts him in the place of the unworthy and he makes the unworthy worthy now in christ you and i are worthy brothers and sisters in christ you are worthy so don't believe those lies in your head that you're unworthy for god's love that God can't use you, that you're always going to be trapped in it, that you're always going to be defined in it, that you're always going to have these struggles, you're always going to be this or that. In Christ, you are worthy, you are free, you are called, you are sanctified, you belong to him, and God wants to bless you because of Christ. Like Jacob who wrestled in slavery to Laban, like Israel who wrestled in slavery in Egypt we too were once in slavery to sin, but now we are free, and God calls us onward looking to Christ, trusting in Him and His work on the cross, His finished work, the resurrection, His reigning work in heaven right now, seeing you, seeing your messes, seeing your troubles, and calling you out of them. Calling you out of them. He says, Leave them behind if you're in Christ, receive forgiveness. If you're in Christ, leave him behind. Let him go. Let him go. So while you may feel like life is full of trouble, God is so full of grace and mercy for his children. Human brokenness is real, but so is the hope of Christ. Let's bow together.